we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? And it's also, ah, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. Okay, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fuckstables? What the fuckaricans? What the fuckites? And of course, all you what the fuckaholics, welcome. Welcome. You're in the right place. You're in a safe place. I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Let me say this before I forget. Uh, we have some big changes to the WTF apps and premium subscriptions this week. If you have the premium subscriptions, please don't forget to listen to the special announcement with instructions on how to take advantage of all the new features on the premium services. And if any of you are having any issue with your apps uh, this week or, or, or recently, uh, please email me at WTFpod at gmail.com and we'll try to resolve your problems. Okay. All right. That said, we have an amazing show today. I went to Bill Maher's home, part of his home. It seems like I was I was not in the home. I was on a property that was nearby the home in a building that housed a screening room. Uh, didn't look like it was used that much, but it was it was it was in it was on land that he owned. I will say that. That's all I can tell you. I drove through a gate. I was welcomed by a person. I sat and waited for Bill Maher. Uh, Bill Maher is a, a very interesting guy, great comedian. I know that some of you uh, know him from real time. Maybe some of you remember him from Politically Incorrect on Comedy Central. Of course, you remember his run of that show on ABC when he got fired for the thing he said uh, and a grassroots movement of frightened, angry people who misunderstood his joke. Had him pushed off of that network. We'll talk about all that. He also wanted me to make sure you knew about his... Uh, uh, Yahoo is doing a comedy station on Yahoo, and they're going to launch it with uh, a live streaming broadcast of Bill Maher's newest special, Crazy Stupid Politics. That's going to be on the Yahoo Comedy Channel on uh, February 23rd, 7.30 Pacific, 10.30 Eastern. We'll get to Bill in a minute. Uh, and it's a it's a lovely conversation. Yeah, he was he's a comic. He's been a comic for years. I, on the other hand, have also been a comic for years. And I've got a few things that I, I need to talk about. First of all, I did one of those things this morning where I uh, yeah, I, 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 I hit send. I shouldn't have hit send. There was an issue. I got tweeted a picture of an arts weekly in Oklahoma City uh, stating that my shows there were sold out. They are not sold out. Uh, actually, we added a second show in Oklahoma City at the uh, City Arts Center this Saturday, February 18th. But I immediately said, how the fuck is it? this going to kill me? It's going to kill the second show. I'm going to lose money because of this writer who wrote this. Who's in charge? And I, I went into a frenzy. I'm like, I've got to get hold of this writer who interviewed me and put this misinformation out there. And I found his name and I found his email and I sent him a shitty message. And then I looked him up on Facebook and I sent him a shitty message there. And I'm like, is this personal? Why would you do this? And of course it had nothing to do with him. Yeah. The promoter of the show, the producers of the show, whoever's in charge didn't get him the information about the second show. And they went to press and that's that the presses have got a role. Not on that guy. He of course gets back to me like, look, man, I got nothing against you. I'm a fan. Why would I do that? So, of course, I have to say, fuck, sorry, dude. I, I was just angry, and I, I wanted to follow through. I, not only did I want to follow through, but I had to do it through three different portals. I had to follow through on Twitter. I had to follow through on Facebook. I had to follow through 
on his uh, his work email. Massive fuck up. Why do you? I couldn't wait it out. But you get into that mode. You're like, I'm fucked. That's it. What? It's all about me. I'm. Par- Why would he do that? It wasn't just an oversight. Easily explainable. I guess what I'm getting at is, if you're in the Oklahoma City area, we're good. Second show's been added. Come down. You can get tickets. Go to WTFPod.com. Look for those tickets. And uh, and and you can come. There's there's plenty of seats. Please come down. I'm hoping I can hang out with Wayne Coyne when I'm there. And I'm hoping I can get some barbecue. And I'm hoping to... Uh, I've got about less than 24 hours in Oklahoma City. I hope I can take it all in. I'm not being condescending to your city. I just hope that I can do something other than get there, freak out, go to the show, leave in the morning. I'd like to get the the feel of Oklahoma City. Moving on, got a guy. I'm getting uh, I'm getting some central air and heat in my house in the Cat Ranch up here at the Cat Ranch. It's been un unheated and uncooled since its beginning. Since the Cat Ranch was built back in the early 20s, I uh, have not had any of that, and I labor through summers just sitting at home, sweating, wondering if I'm sick. And you know, wanting to go to the movies or just sit in my car in the driveway with the engine on. Some of you know from interviews I've done here in the uh, summer, just watching uh, you know, famous people sweat across from me, not be not being able to do anything. And this unit that I got for the garage's AC, no good. So I finally did it. I uh, pulled out a bunch of money I don't really have, and I paid a contractor to get a guy to get on my roof and put one of these things in. They had to lower it down with a crane. There's some beautiful work being done. In, with uh, crane operators, I think they're they're un, uh, under underappreciated. The the great grace of a crane operator that had to figure out a way to get an heating unit, an AC unit, on top of my house through trees and wires, beautifully. Just found his window, gracefully delivered that thing onto the roof, where a dude uh, mounted it. Now the the reason I'm talking about this is in LA, you just never know who's doing what and who they are, where they come from. And obviously contractors have a, have known have the best reputation. This guy got recommended to me by another person and he comes over. And in a few minutes, I'm talking to him. His name's Dan. Great guy. Turns out he's a professional bull rider. The guy who's working on my house or having people work on my house, professional bull rider came out. You know, he quit that racket because obviously it beats the shit out of you, but he was like second in the country. I mean, he's a big dude. This guy, Dan Campbell, big professional bull rider guy, and now he's in my house having coffee. We're drinking cat shit coffee, and he's talking to me about riding bulls, and I'm like, holy fuck. Ends up, he comes to Hollywood, met some people, got into the acting racket, then he got uh, he got in with a guy who was a, a carpenter and a wall finisher, and he, he did his apprenticeship with, in contract. What a, it's just amazing. Just people you meet on the street, got the big stories. Fucking bull rider. Of course, I'm sitting there going, nah, I don't, I can't even horses frighten me that all goes back to a shitty horse i had at a summer camp that i shouldn't have been at because i'm not my people aren't uh, horse people so i just ride the bulls of my brain i'm a a a mental bull rider my brain makes bulls for me to ride every day right now i'm riding the ice cream bowl but let's talk about this article because a lot of you sent it to me and and it seemed to be of concern or perhaps you just wanted to frighten me this scientist, whose name I can't pronounce, Jaroslav Fleger, uh, was trying to track down his issues. He had some uh, psychological problems, uh, some anger and some uh, weird fearlessness that he had not had before and uh, did a little research and, and traced it back to his cat, who has a cat has got a microbe in their poop 
Oh, boy. Am I, how far can I get into this? There's a microbe in cat poop. It's a parasite. Toxoplasma gondii. I, this uh, the story has been around for a while, and it's one of the reasons that pregnant women are told not to, uh, you know, to sort of you know play with cat poop uh, when they're pregnant because of this this problem. But now this guy did some research, they did some studies, and it seems to be somewhat credible that this parasite, if it gets into the human brain, uh, was once thought to be relatively uh, harmless, but could be, cause some problems in infants. But now. They're tracking this down. They're, they're dealing with the evolution of this parasite that apparently if there's enough of it in your brain, it'll, it'll shift your behavior. That's, that, that we are the puppet of microbial parasites. They can just make other larger life forms their puppet. And it was, it's very interesting. Evolutionary science is fascinating to me. I don't, under, I under, I don't understand how things evolve. Obviously, you can break it down to... to uh, uh, you know, organisms getting their survival needs met. Uh, and over time, they evolve these you know, very elaborate systems of uh, movement, of, uh, of uh, color, of uh, behavior. Look, I'm, look, I'm no scientist. But apparently the deal is, is that this organism needs to reproduce in cat poop inside the cat. And then it's crapped out. So then the next generation of it has to get back into another cat somehow. So apparently... Uh, what generally is thought to happen is, you know, rodents eat the cat poop or get around the cat poop because rodents are do that. And this microbe gets into the brain of the rodent and, and basically rejiggers its brain and makes it more fearless than it should be. So it takes on cats. And of course, cats kill the rodent and eat it again. And then the parasite gets back into a cat. So basically, it just uses it uses the rodent as a puppet to, to get back into the cat through uh, being eaten. And then he cites this other example of a of a parasite that needs to be inside a lamb, a lamb gut in order to reproduce. And what it does is once it's crapped out by the lamb, it infects these ants. It gets into the ant's brain and it, and it just puppets the ant up a, a blade of grass and has the ant's mandibles lock onto that blade of grass on the top in an involuntary way. The ant is not deciding to do that. And it just hangs there like an idiot being run by parasites uh, until it's eaten by a lamb that's using these other life forms as the delivery device to get its own biological needs met creepy shit but this guy is positing the idea and it seems to be supported in studies that this this will do that to a uh, to a human if there's enough of this toxoplasma gandhi in a human brain it will alter your behavior a bit to fearlessness now obviously we're not going to be eaten by cats so it's, it's not really for us they're they've chosen the wrong vehicle but it does have a mental consequence. Now, how does what do I what am I going to do about that? I don't think I have that. I'm yeah, I'm paralyzed with a certain amount of fear, but I'm a little more fearless and I'm a little less afraid of the future that I tend to make up in my brain. Uh, it, but I just attribute that to busy, and I'm not I'm not sure I have this in my brain. I guess I could go get tested. There's no cure for it. I don't play with cat shit, but I clean it up. But what became more fascinating to me. Is this evolution thing? You know, because I talked to Bill Maher. He's a he's a very devout atheist. You know, I am you know, along the lines of uh, you know I don't really care. I'm not I'm not prone to spiritual searching really. Uh, uh, and then there's those moments where you read stuff like this about the evolutionary behavior of animals and how it's evolved over thousands of years, but still the the seeming intelligence of it of it all, the persistence of life. Is there some sort of viral intelligence to the organic battle against universal entropy? 
Uh, I don't think God has ever been called that. A viral intelligence to the organic battle against entropy. Now, look, there are other podcasts that 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 get into this stuff a lot. You know, aided by a little bit of weed. Uh, you know, ongoing conversations about this, about the fascination of evolution, and it's definitely fascinating. But it's one of those things that that some people would uh, certainly. Uh, religious people would say, well, there's obviously an intelligent design. There's got to be an intelligent designer. This stuff defies logic, this viral intelligence to the organic battle against entropy. You know, there must be some prime mover. Yeah, I never go that direction with, with these type of in- investigations or this type of logic. When I see that these microbes are using rodents as puppets by you know taking over their brains so they're not afraid of cats you know all i think is like oh we're fucked it's only a matter of time we are definitely fucked i mean we can't you know look we can put people into space we can land people on planets yeah we have bank machines that we can use all around the world but we can't get a handle on the human body and what we're carrying around in it we can't get a handle on the human brain but these fucking microbes can So it's only a matter of time. If there is some sort of prime mover, if there is some sort of intelligent designer, and I'm not the first to observe it, he's got to have one hell of a sense of humor to give us all these gifts of of reason and resources and ability to decipher and and create and understand that we're just going to be wiped out by a fucking renegade strand of DNA or a goddamn microbe that might not even be meant for us. That's some hilarious fucking God, if you ask me. Look at these ridiculous humans. They think they can fight those single-celled organisms or, or, or even worse yet, just weird strands of RNA that, that require a body to exist. They can't win. I can't even see them. They're in my brain. It's a good chance that some part of my brain is just looking for a, a, a lion to tease so I can deliver my, 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 uh, my cargo of toxoplasma Gandhi into the guts of a cougar. And also, I'm, I, you know, I talked to Bill a little bit about atheism, but I always wonder about the aging atheists. That, that, and I will put myself in amongst them only because, I, as I said, you know, I am not it's seemingly willing to say categorically there's, there's no God. I don't know why I'm not willing to. There must be some you know, primal fear in me of some kind, or maybe there's, there's a shred of hope somewhere. But, but I, I don't fight for the atheist point of view, and I don't, I'm certainly not religious in any way. I don't have God in my life. I don't, I, I don't, I'm not geared that way. But I, just, I wish there was some sort of tagging mechanism. You know how they tag animals in the wild to chart their, uh, their, their behavior and their, their habits. Is there some way to tag atheists you know, to see as they get older, you know, whether or not they end up in a church or, or praying when they're confronting the, uh, the big empty. But then again, I don't want to give any weird Christian fascists any ideas about tracking people. God knows we're already being tracked already. Right now, I'm being tracked. Right now, I'm being tracked and puppeted by microbes and perhaps watched by a prankster god. I didn't know what to expect. I, I, I thought this was going to be a compound of some kind. I thought that I was going to come up here and be a, 
undisclosed location because I did your show once <laughs> and I said one thing and I was terrified that my house would be blown up. Why? What are you be, talking about? Well, I mean, they, they were, the right wing press just ran with this stuff I said about Bachman and I got paranoid because oh. I don't have any security in my house. I was going to get oh. a bat. Well, there is a lot of security <laughs> here. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, uh, it is kind of a compound. Do you feel that, though? Do you ever get the feeling that you you, you piss uh, someone off to the degree that your life is in danger? Oh, well, I feel it. I, are you kidding? Of course. <laughs> I mean, the, we've had so many de- death threats over the years, especially when the religion movie came out. And, um, you know, I mean, the God hates fags people show up in force when I play in the Midwest. And, you know, they have their vigils and... Yeah, but you know, you can't you can't think about that. You can't dwell on that. Right. You just have to, you know, try and be as safe as possible. I guess it just comes with the territory. Yeah, I think you have a, you know, a better chance of uh having a bad car accident. I mean, when you think about the stuff that can actually make your life miserable, which I do. <laughs> Um, you know, I, 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 what's what's that list? Well, I do, I do think, uh, in the years ahead, the environment is going to make people's lives miserable. I mean, it already is in many places. We've had more weather disasters, um, this year. Um, the Republicans, of course, are all about money. They don't seem to notice that this is costing us economically. It costs us something like 50 billion. Yeah. to pay for catastrophic weather events this year. That's well, they just they just see that as more privatized change. industry. If they can right. pay somebody to clean it up, just funnel <laughs> money into our friends who will right. fix that. They're building a, a large roof for the entire planet. But, uh, I mean, that, I think, probably in my lifetime will cause a lot of uh, pain to a lot of people, and I may be one of them. We all may be one of them. I mean, no matter how rich you are, it's the same air. That's right. And, you know. and I think they're they're just hedging their bets that if everybody can't breathe on, on the same day, right. then no one gets blamed for anything. <laughs> but, I, but I always think, like, of all those kind of things and terrorism and death threats, and it's all possible. The thing that is most likely to really fuck up, can I say fuck up? Sure. Okay. Your life is um, a car accident. Yeah, or just a woman. Car, just car. <laughs> that's true too. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's true too. Go uh, uh, <laughs> I used way. to say years ago. I used to say, you know, people talk about AIDS. I, I'm still worried about the frying pan in the head. <laughs> <laughs> How but, old's that joke? Oh, that's, that's I, a good one. Too older than your kids. Um, but uh, yeah, but you know, just when you think about the fact, every day you go out there in a piece of metal, and there's other hurling pieces yep. of metal inches away from sure. you at some point with people texting in them. We're, yeah with people <laughs> texting in them you saw that accident on the florida bridge the other day uh-uh. with the though it was like foggy or there was maybe it was smoke from a fire but anyway they couldn't see there's so many multiple deaths and just cars plowing into each other and yeah that that probably that's, that's the one i worry about the most well you know i was um Whenever I go to New York, because I, I, I spend time in New York, I, I, there's certain comics I can start with this. As uh, you know, I go into the comic strip, and your, your headshot I, is, is there, uh, uh, one of the more later ones. But there's actually this wall of Polaroids around the corner that used to be in the comic strip. And there's a picture of you at a party looking like you were 20 years old. Now, when <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good reason for that. Yeah, and the uh, but that is that where you started. I started, well, I started at all three. When I started, uh, my first year was 79. There was three comic, three 
uh, comedy clubs that were going, major ones, and they were Catch a Rising Star and the comic strip on the east side and the improv on the west side. On 44th, right? Yeah, 44th and 9th was the improv. That's gone. Ca- uh, Catch a Rising Star's gone. That was 1st and yep. 78th. That was my main club. Everybody had like a main club, and then if you were big enough in our little world, you could work the other two clubs. And how old were you when you started? I was right out of college, so I was 22. Where'd you go to college? Cornell. That's a good college. <laughs> Would you... <laughs> Yeah, it is. I got an excellent education. And what did you do? And what was that's your degree all in? I got from it. An excellent <laughs> education. No fun. <laughs> Were you driven that way, though? You didn't start uh, no, enjoying I was, your life until uh, later? No, I would have loved to have enjoyed my life. <laughs> I just went to Cornell. <laughs> I, if I had to do it over again or if I had known what Cornell would have been like, I never would have gone there. <laughs> what was the problem? It, it's still the problem. I was there recently to do a concert, and my friend who uh, was one of my classmates, and he's still yeah. my friend, he came up for the show, and we walked around, and we were like saying, it's the same as it ever was, cold, gangs of guys, eight, ten gangs of men in yeah. their blue parkas walking around. It hasn't changed at all since the <laughs> 70s. It didn't look like it had at all. I mean, when I was, I don't know if uh, maybe it has changed, but uh, first of all, there was not nearly enough women. The ratio was, was right. terrible. Right. I don't think, I think it had been only recently made co-ed. Many of the Ivy League schools. So it was all sports and masturbating. It wasn't sports. I no mean, sports? yeah, the Ivy League schools are terrible at sports. Um uh, it was definitely a lot of masturbating, if you count that a sport. Um, and it was very competitive uh, and, you know, beautiful physically, but cold and isolated. Yeah. You know, so it was just uh, socially, it was it was awful. When I see these kids today, you know, at the MTV Beach House and they sure. just the blowjobs on the first date and you know, just everybody God. hooking up and yeah. it's like... Well, first of all, I think half of that is bullshit. I think a lot of kids still are not invited to this party that's going on. Yeah. I think as ever, there's a certain percentage, the cool kids who have all the fun. And if you're not in one of those kids, and I certainly wasn't in either high school or college, it can be rough. But it was especially rough at Cornell. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what kind of kid were you in high school? I mean... I was, uh, you know, not an exceptional kid in many ways. I was a good, you know, I was a... A diligent student. Um, uh, you know, I don't think I missed a day of school, of high school. And you were a good student? Yes, I was a good student. I think I was seventh in my class of Jesus. 400 or something. Um, but uh, I never missed a day. That was part of it. Um, showing up is what Allen said, 90% of it. Yeah. And uh, But certainly not like a popular kid, a cool kid. I was shy. You know, I mean, when I... My first date was uh, sophomore year, was it? Or of high school? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> a, please, it wasn't that bad. Um, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I had a girlfriend sophomore and junior year, yeah. and that was very exciting. And then I got dumped, and that was like horrible. So there was like six months of, of depression, and and then I sort of came out of my shell senior year. I, I did a couple of the the shows you know I, I i wanted to be a comedian when i was young but i didn't tell anybody and you know there was kind of a talent show or a pop show or one of those kind of mm-hmm. things in high school and i and i think i did one of the plays you know so i started to come out of my shell and in, and indulge my my yen to be in show business and did have that go <laughs> um 
It went okay. I yes, it, the first time I ever did it, I hosted, I emceed the uh, talent show. I yeah. think it was. Yeah, there was a gay English teacher. I didn't realize he was gay at the time because I didn't realize anything like that at the time. But he recommended me, and I owe him a big debt of gratitude because I probably would never have done it on my own. But he, you know, in class, I guess he saw a kid who was kind of witty and, yeah. you know, uh, being a little class comedian as opposed to a class clown. And he suggested I do that, and I did, and I was thrilled, and I stole most of the material from The Tonight Show. It was too risque for. Uh, the audience uh, or for the parents. I remember I got into a, a degree of trouble and I think they actually canceled having that show in the years to, to come. You because, took it from Carson? Yeah, I took it from Carson. I remember like, like, well, I was introducing this girl and she was, you know, some daddy's little girl yeah. and, uh, and I think I, I stole jokes that were not really appropriate to a high school girl. Like, she's uh, going to do the uh, Dance of the Virgins, which she performs from memory. Uh, uh, she squeezed a lemon into a man's drink with her knees. You know, these are not appropriate jokes, but these were like Karnak jokes or, yeah, yeah, yeah. or, or Art Fern. Maybe. Right, right. But, you know, I was the, the ultimate devotee of Johnny Carson in that era uh, as a high school kid. Is he so, what compelled you to comedy? I mean, when... It, well... You know, I had a few heroes, as all comics do, uh, but he certainly was the one who was most present because he was on every night. Right. And I don't—I probably did not miss a single episode of The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson from the age of 12 to 22 or something. Yeah, um, he, he, I think he influenced your style, don't you? I mean, in terms my of monologue, joke, for sure. Right, I still, when I, yeah. not, not when I do stand-up. Right. Um, but uh, when on I... On TV. But on, but on, well, just the monologue, yeah. which is, you know, which is a sort of a guy standing on the street corner talking about the day, or in my case, it's a weekly show... Yeah. Yeah. The week's events. Right. It's not as impassioned, you know, like the kind of stand-up show I do around the country that I'm doing on Yahoo, February 23rd. Yeah. One, first of its kind, internet special free. Um, that's different. That's more Robert Klein. You he move was, around. He was yeah. also one of my heroes. Well, those well, are long-form pieces, too. Long-form, you're, you're, you've got the mic in your hand as mm -hmm. opposed to just standing there mm -hmm. stiff. Uh, I don't know, just from watching Johnny all those years, it's in my blood to do a monologue with that kind of rhythm, and it fits. But stand-up is a different animal, and that's more, yeah, Robert Klein and George Carlin when I was a kid. Th those were my stand-up heroes. Yeah, and you, have you worked with Robert? Do you, have you talked to him? Oh, yes. I mean, he's certainly, he was on Politically Incorrect. He's been on Real Time. Um, and I'm certainly friendly with him, you know. Uh, Who are the guys you started out with, though? I mean, there's like a crew. I was Larry Miller, Mark Schiff. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah. You Riser. Could. Oh, yes. That's your uh, generation, right? Yes. I mean, they were all a little older than me. So they were all guys who I kind of look up to because when I arrived, they were already getting on and mm -hmm. they were emceeing. They were doing the things I, you know, that was the immediate next step that I wanted to do. Jerry Seinfeld, uh, Larry David was the one who passed me uh, when, I, when I auditioned at um, Catch, yes. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, these guys provided for me uh, the only thing I had going for me then was a little encouragement because I certainly had no money. Yeah. I had no skills. <laughs> I had no encouragement from the audience. Good education, I, though. Yeah, I was getting a good comedy education. And once in a while, one of these guys would say, hey, you're funny. And then I would think, okay, I can live on that for a week. What about your folks? Did they Were they into it? or what? You know, they were great about it. They weren't, I wouldn't say they were into it, <laughs> but they weren't again it. 
You know, I remember when I when I said to them because I never I went all through college, never sort of mentioned what I wanted to do with my life, which is weird. (laughs) It didn't come up. Didn't really come up. What was your father's business? My father was in radio. Oh, really? He was a broadcaster. Yes, he was a newsman. You know, in the in the era when every news station had news at the top of the hour. Yeah. So uh, he worked in New York, you know, first for the now defunct, for many years defunct, mutual broadcasting system. Did you ha- did you have a fascination with that? I mean, did you go to the office and look at the uh, the, you know, the 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 routers thing that, with the news stories coming up? Did you? you know, in those days, it came off a wire. Right you know, the wire, yeah, da, 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 and then you know he would rip it off, and you know they wrote their own copy and, right. de- and delivered it, and it had to be five minutes. You know, I remember he had many stopwatches at home. I, yes, I did think it was a kind of a cool thing to do. And so once, he would time himself at home when he was writing pieces. No, no, no. You day. couldn't do it at home. You had to do right. it at the office because that's where you worked right. and it was up to the minute. Um, but yeah, once in a while we would we would hear him do the news on yeah. the radio. So yeah, it was pretty cool. And did that, did that uh, sort of feed into a fascination with news? I mean, yes, what- ab- news, absolutely. News, I think, you know, just being in the public, not really, he wasn't really in the public eye, but public speaking. Yeah. And uh, he was also a, a funny, my father, kind of a funny living room comedian, which yeah. is something you hear from a lot of comics. Yeah, that uh, their father yeah. was funny, and yeah. it kind of gestated through one generation, and in the next generation, flowered more publicly. Right. Yeah. My father was more of a, you know, it, it started out funny, but it became uncomfortable very quickly. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, why was he a drunk or something? No, he wasn't drunk. He's just a he's a manic depressive, and oh, you know, occasionally really? he didn't have a great sense of humor, but he'd always tell the wrong joke with the wrong group of people, oh. like something he heard at the office. Right. <laughs> And then, like, it would start out like, this is great. And then it's like, ah, it's not funny at all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it didn't go a good place at all. He still thinks he's funny. He actually said to me once when, uh, you know, because he never, I don't know if your parents are the same way, but when you do stand-up and you're not, you don't have a gig necessarily, your parents don't see it as anything other than a phase mm-hmm. that you're going through. And uh, you know, a couple of years ago, my father actually said to me, he says, hey, why don't you call Bill Maher? He seems to have it figured out. Ah, that's so funny. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I remember when I was first doing it, the yeah. fir- maybe the first Christmas party. Yeah, um, and my aunt said, uh, I "Remember hearing her say?" I could still hear the voice ringing in my head. It must have been that traumatic. Oh, did you hear? Billy's trying to be a comedian, <laughs> not <laughs> being a comedian. He's trying. He's trying to be that. I don't know what validates it for them because they've got their people in their. Well, mind. in my in my era, it was doing Carson. Yeah, that was that was then the discussion was over. Oh, really? Yeah, of course, you were in. If you did Carson, you were in. Actually, you know, it's funny. It went from they uh, didn't think you were serious about it or that it was really going to happen to when they when you did Carson, they thought you were a giant star, right? Which was ridiculous yeah, because crowned. I I did coordinated. thirty Tonight shows and nobody still knew who I was. I mean, you know, in in the era that I came aboard in the eighties. It was no longer enough just to do The Tonight Show to become a star. You, The Tonight Show was a springboard to get a sitcom, and that would make you a star, or or your own show of some kind. Did it help sell tickets, though, But though, they right? thought, um, not really. Really? No, no. That's, no. A myth, that's a myth that, you know, that when it was just it was just Johnny and that he was the king of late night, that if he total, gave you the nod. Total myth. Really? T- because in, in, in that era, there was too many comedians. When I was a kid, there was only like one new comedian every five years. Right. You know, Stanley Myron Hendelman. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> That's why, and he was on every show. David Brenner, I right, always David say. David Brenner forever. Was, I think was the last one to become a, a 
a household word simply from being a comedian on talk shows. After that, there was just too many of them. The floodgates were open, and you just got lost in the crowd. And no, but that's what I'm saying. You know, the family thought you did one Tonight Show. You were a giant star, recognized everywhere, mobbed at the supermarket. Yeah, yeah. And the truth was, no, you weren't. Your your life was just incrementally better. <clears throat> yeah, you could now <clears throat> headline at the Pittsburgh Comedy Club. Wow. You, you wrote a no, you wrote a novel based on your experience. Because yes. I remember when I did uh, Short Attention Spent Theater, you were doing Politically Incorrect, and yes. I, I was selling your book right. on my show. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. But you did, I mean, it was really about that experience. I mean, you totally. Spent, you spent time yes. on the road. You, pay, you know, paid your dues doing those horrible clubs. And- Absolutely. Oh, my God. I certainly did pay my dues. Yes, and all of that is in that is in that book. I mean, I... True I re- Stories? Yeah. Is that what it was? True Story. Yeah. You know, as in, true story. Yeah, 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 right. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, I, I, for whatever reason, wanted to preserve that knowledge, and I, I will never write another novel. Um, it's not really what I want to do, uh, and I think most people who do write novels write the same novel over and over again, mm-hmm. so I figure just write one good one about the one thing that you know about <clears throat> that hasn't really been explored, and call it a day, and that's what I did. But when, okay, so when you were doing stand-up in New York, then you, when did you move to L.A.? After the first Tonight Show? When did that happen? After the third Tonight Show. Actually, during the third Tonight Show, because you in that... had somebody do it. And that, no, but in that time, you know, uh, whenever I was flown out from New York to do the Tonight Show, yeah. the best part of the gig was the airfare. Yeah. Because they, you know, by after rules, they had to fly you first class. And of course, we would change. We would turn in the tickets and get the money. Yeah, first class ticket was like two grand. Yeah, and you could fly coach for two hundred and make eighteen hundred bucks on yeah. that. So that was so. The third time I was given a ticket, I said, "Oh well, I'm no fool. I'm going to use this to move." Yeah, and it was New Year's Eve going into '83. Wow. And the the interesting thing about you is that I don't know that people uh, of the generation you know, a little younger than me, you know, realize that you paid all these dues and that you were such a you, you were a, a real sort of like hands on on the road stand up comic guy. Still am. Yeah, you go. Like, just, just that my on the road experience now is so much more pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I still do you know sixty. 65 stand-up dates a year and i'm always you know every couple of years i've done a a special on hbo i've done nine i mean this year i decided to do it um on yahoo like i said the one coming up in february because i thought well you know the audience on hbo they get me all year long anyway let's broaden this out and so this is really exciting to me but when you came out as a comic because i was uh you know the it wasn't your goal to become necessarily this, um, you know, iconoclastic, you know, uh, cultural commentator. I mean, you were primarily a joke comedian, correct? Yeah, but I always wanted to and always tried to do material about politics, not exclusively. And I still don't do it exclusively right. um, either on the show, although the show was much more politically focused than the stand-up act, although that is still also mostly politically focused. But um <clears throat> Yeah, when I was young, I tried political jokes, but I was too young to (laughs) write good ones. And I was too young to be taken seriously by the audience for good reason as a political commentator. You just don't have gravitas when you're 24. But did you have the, what what was your degree in college in? English. Okay. So with the (laughs) politics thing, like, because when I did Air America, I mean, I was a a reactionary politically. I I I was not familiar with the, the nuances 
of legislation. That's what made it good. <laughs> yeah, it's just a, he's an aggravated man who's, yeah, who seems right, uh, exactly. uh, not, not that educated on this stuff. But like when you came out to L.A., I mean, you were doing whatever you, you could do to, to get into show business, right? I mean, I mean, you did a lot of you know, movies. When, were... when, I was, <clears throat> when I was in the clubs in New York from 79 to 82, uh, it was de rigueur that we all thought we needed to get uh, five or six clean five-minute segments so that you were ready when The Tonight Show called so that you were able to rip them off. So the first one went well, and they asked you back in a couple of months. You had another one of clean five-minute material. So And then after you did a few of those, you would get a sitcom because that's what happened to, uh, we saw Robin Williams got Mark and Mindy and then yeah. Jimmy Brogan. Remember Jimmy Brogan? Yeah. He got a show for 10 minutes where he was an angel. and. <laughs> And we all, Jerry Seinfeld was on Benson. Yeah. We all lived this template. We would do our four or five be on tonight shows, and then we would be on Benson or some sit. We all, uh, Freddie Prinz also, yeah. you know, this was the idea. You knew him? So, <clears throat> no, he was He's dead. A little older. When I, he yeah. died in 77 right. when I was in Cor- at Cornell. Um, <clears throat> but that was the idea. I did. I saw him on the Tonight Show first. Sure. Hey, comedian, stand-up yeah. comedian, gets a sitcom. So that's what was in our head. So yes, I came out in '83. Immediately, I did get a movie, DC Cab, yeah, um, with Charlie Barnett, with Charlie Barnett and Gary Busey and Marsha Warfield and oh gosh, who, uh, yeah, all Mr. T, yeah. <laughs> How could I forget? Were you excited about that? Were of you course. Like, I was 27. I just moved out to California. Now I'm in a, a major movie, of course. It was extremely exciting. <laughs> um, and then I got a sitcom, Sarah, with Gina Davis. And, uh, you know, and then I got another. So the 80s was mostly living that life. I Mostly I made my living... Uh, in the 80s as an actor I also never stopped doing stand-ups never stopped doing my tonight shows and so forth but I was my mind was more focused on you know acting and like getting ahead that way Uh, it wasn't until like the early 90s when I was like oh god I don't want to you know it was like doing my fourth sitcom with Sam Kinison and it was just the one where he was in the drawer yeah (laughs) (laughs) I was not a fan I mean he was on heroin at the time so he would keep the whole cast waiting for hours and sometimes days while he either didn't show up or sobered up so that was the one with Tim Matheson yes exactly and he was already sort of arcing down yes that was like he was on a sitcom it was a concession Mr. Wild and Crazy was on a sitcom and he just hated it Uh, yeah and I hated him for keeping (laughs) us waiting (laughs) so um, <laughs> did so, you ever have one developed around you? Like yeah. A, oh, yes. In uh, uh, a few years earlier, I had when the the fledgling Fox Network. Uh, I was pretty hot off a couple of the sitcoms I had done, so they allowed me to uh, create my own. It was called Bill Gets a Life. Yeah. Um, and who'd uh, you write that with? Nobody. And uh, <laughs> oh no, Gary Shandling. What am I saying? Gary Shandling was the executive producer. Uh-huh. And. Um, uh, it never got on the air, but uh, yeah, that was a, an attempt. It really, the, the idea in my head really was very similar to the sitcom King of Queens. Right. The idea was a guy who couldn't believe he had married a girl, you know, who was so out of his league. Right. I think that's King of Queens. Isn't it? I, I don't know what the pilot was, but it just <laughs> turned out to be two people that talked oh. a lot at each other. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I mean, so, but was there a point where you, you were like, you, you felt like you were doing yourself a disservice by 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 doing those like by just being a, a comedic actor or was there a point where you're like fuck this well, i like, gotta talk a number of times in my career 
uh, I've been lucky, as many people have, I think, by the uh, imposition of failure, which turned out to be a blessing in disguise. I'm very glad that the sitcom I did to start Sarah, which everyone said was a no miss, had to be a hit because it was Gary Goldberg, who was the producer at the time of Family Ties, which yeah. was a giant hit. He was the hottest producer in town. And it was what what a cast, Bronson Pinchot and Alfred Woodard. And uh, I'm glad that didn't go anywhere because I remember when the ad came out in TV Guide and it had the four four of us, Alfred, Bronson, Gina, and I, with a little description of who we were. And under my picture, it said, The Office Creep. <laughs> <laughs> so I could have got typecast as The Office Creep for right. the rest of my life. And then I was lucky, really, uh, looking back when Politically Incorrect got canned after 9-11 because... I should have walked away from that uh, before nine years uh, to do the show I'm doing now. So sometimes out there, kids, just remember, failure could be good for you. Well, I mean, but but was Politically Incorrect your idea? I mean, I know you worked with uh, Nancy yeah. Geller and, and Scott Carter's been oh, with yeah. you forever. Ever. How, how did that come about? I mean, how was that transition? I had always wanted to do that kind of a show. In fact, I kind of did it uh, for a week in the summer of 1990. The CBS in the summer of 1990 gave a bunch of people one week to try out on the air. Uh, you can watch them somewhere, probably a late night talk show, and you could like sort of create your own idea for a show. And this was sort of my idea, and uh, so I had that idea for a long time to do that kind of a show. And luckily, uh, you know, in the fall of 1992. Uh, Comedy Central was just new and desperate enough to buy it. <laughs> and were you, did you, because I, 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 when I started doing political stuff, I mean, did you have as in-depth the knowledge of, of everything as you do now, or were you briefed? I mean, did you, because like, I just wonder how the staffing on that works, because you, you know, you know your shit now. I mean, <laughs> I think I always had an advantage because of what we were talking about before, my father in the news industry, yeah. unlike most families who at dinner i don't know what they talk about or they watch tv my family was into talking about the news it was always in my house i always read the newspaper i read the new york times when i was a teenager yeah um it came to the door and i read it yeah and uh i was interested i was always interested in social studies and that side of the thing i wasn't a science math kind of a guy so it was sort of uh in me when I started and then you know over the years I think you just learn how to get better at your job like you do at any job and I of course I do have a great staff and and a lot of them have been with me for a long time including some people who are coming up on the 20 year mark I can't wow. believe that but it's true because PI started in 93 so well, loyalty um, uh, is pretty important in this business what is loyalty Loyalty. I've been lucky with that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they all came out to L.A. They None of them wanted to because um, they were all from New York. We, we started in New York with the original P.I. on Comedy Central and nobody wanted to come out to L.A. Of course, the second they were here, they were seduced as everyone is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's so nice here. I don't know why people compare the two. I mean, people are like, I don't know, New York and L.A. They're totally fucking different. I, completely different. It's, and I, I don't know why New York, you know, which I have great affection for, it's the city I grew up right next to, which where my father worked every day. Uh, I still go back, of course, a few times a year. I love it in the, in the fall and the spring for, you know, a weekend or so. Yeah. I don't know why there has to be this chauvinistic attitude 
New York is the greatest city in the world. And if you don't agree with that, you are a bad person. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's the greatest city for you. It's, it's, so, it's like saying my wife is the greatest wife in the world. Not just the one best suited for me. The best in the world. It's childish. Yeah. I don't like living in a building. I don't like the cold. I don't like the sticky, muggy summers. So so what? Sue me. Yeah. I like living out here. You know, I lived in New York twice. Once when I was poor. Once when I was doing a lot better. I didn't like it either time i was still living in a building i still heard the garbage truck on the street yada 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 i mean it's just not my cup of tea what's the history of this place it seems like it feels like there's history in this uh in in this uh place that you have now um did it belong to somebody yeah but i'm not gonna tell you about it all right (laughs) i mean you know every house out here belonged to somebody uh i mean i actually live next door this is this is the house next door and the the main house burned down Mm -hmm. so i was able to to <laughs> swoop in in a unfortunate situation and pick up this piece of and, property. Uh, I should have never set that fire. Whoops! <laughs> oh, now it's no. out there. Now it's out there. So, it, all right. So now you, this show, when uh, when when you did get taken off, was there any fear in your mind that you would be out or down for the count? Absolutely. Of course. I mean, there was a, a few weeks there when I was like public enemy number one in America. I still have the uh, over a misunderstood joke. <clears throat> Well, it wasn't really a joke. It was not a joke. It was a statement. Right. Uh, a true statement. Right. <laughs> that people, even at the time, <clears throat> uh, recognized was a true statement. Um, but, uh, yeah, I still have the uh, the clipping on the headline from uh, Variety on my wall in my office that says, White House keeps heat on Mars. <laughs> <laughs> which you know it's worth the pain that i went through just for that newspaper headline on my wall because where else could you get yeah. white house keeps heat on more but there was about a week there where it came up in the briefing room every day and ari fleischer was commenting on how evil i was and how americans need to watch what they say isn't that interesting that that at, that at this juncture in history that it became public and they like nixon used to do that with everybody Anybody right. mildly threatened him, but you became like this whipping boy. <laughs> yeah. You know, public whipping boy. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> as uh, my head writer pointed out, and I always laugh at this, he said, you were like that, uh, the opening scene of, of Saving Private Ryan where the, you know, they're, they're in the landing craft and there's a, <laughs> the top, the thing at the you know the front the, of the landing the craft gate. goes down yeah. yeah the gate goes down so they can all rush out and as soon as it goes down one guy gets a bullet <laughs> right in the head <laughs> like before the gate is even splashing into the water <laughs> bing one guy's dead and he said that's what you were like after 9-11 people were angry and they were looking for somebody to hate yeah. and you just walked right into it but you know I, I stupidly believed Bush, who said we should go back to doing what we were doing or else the terrorists win. Mm-hmm. So I went back to doing what I always did, which was, you know, just calling it like I see it. And uh, no, the terrorists weren't cowards. They stayed with the suicide right. mission. Yeah. You know, it's not even a, it wasn't even a statement that has a moral dimension. Right. No, it, it just was just was a, a, yeah, true a logic thing. thing. Just a true thing. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, a statement that other people have said too. And and when you and when you got when you lost that job, I mean, what what was the uh, what was the, were you panicked or were you like I mean I mean it was a difficult period. I mean the whole country, if you remember that fall of two thousand and one, the whole country was shitting in its pants about everything. Because yeah. remember then the anthrax and yeah, you know, it was 
It was just a bad time in, in every possible way. The only good part of it was it did free. I mean, politically incorrect, people think it went away right away. No, we were on for another nine months. It did free us to do a much better show because the country was in this serious mood. And so, you know, suddenly no one even wanted to see uh, Carrot Top. You right. Know, uh, we were able to have on, you know, guests talking about Islam and why they hate us. And Did you find you that know. that was a, a big uh, like learning curve for you that like all of a sudden that you, you were able to have these more serious conversations? No, it's and- what I would have loved to do from the beginning. <laughs> but, you know, we had always been on commercial television. You know, we were selling ads and we were trying to get eyeballs at 1130 at night against Leno and Letterman. And so, you know, we were pressured to put on famous faces that you know very often didn't know what they were talking about and that was sort of the charm of the show i mean i can't blame the network for that i invented that show and the idea was hey let's put these different people together of nothing in common and see what the conversation is like when you talk about issues of the day so you know it that was part of the charm of the show on some nights it was a train wreck and sometimes that was funny Sometimes it was a very funny train wreck, and sometimes it was just a train wreck, train wreck. Yeah, there were some times where you just couldn't manage it, and it just was... Well, it was just... It was just <laughs> sometimes people who are different, there's an oddball chemistry that works, and sometimes it's just odd. But, uh, you know, I think we made the best of it. Uh, but after 9-11, that last nine months on P.I., I really enjoyed actually doing those shows. We had on more, many more serious people and many more um, intelligent and you, and, discussions. And you were hated by a lot of people. Well, I was hated long before that. In fact, the reason why I got kicked off was not really from what I said, because what I said didn't bother anybody the next day, didn't bother anybody the next day. It was just that somebody in Houston, a disc jockey who had been trying to get rid of me for the longest time because I was an atheist and because I said bad things about Reagan and whatever, he saw an opportunity to foment hatred and to stir shit up, and he did, and it worked. On a national scale, a radio personality in Houston did Sure. That. Well, it's so easy in this day and age right. to get anybody, you know, you, you just have to have a fax machine, <laughs> Yeah. you know, yeah. or an email. Yeah. You know, it's just too easy to, like, get people riled up. I mean, all of politics these days is getting people riled up. By the way, when I talked about uh, this with the Dixie Chicks once, remember when they got into a huge yeah. shitstorm because yeah. they said... Uh, we're not. We're from Texas, and we're ashamed of Bush or something. Right, and, and they said one. it. They said it on foreign soil, and yeah. everybody knows in the right wing handbook that that's somehow yeah, uh, that's connected. Yeah, 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 it's good for the press. But they said the same thing. Like yeah. when they first did it, no one cared. Days went by, and then somebody made other people angry. Right, but it didn't actually strike people as awful until somebody. <laughs> reminded them you're supposed to be outraged oh okay that's right sorry i forgot yes i'm outraged yeah you just turn a moron on and they'll get angry i'm so sorry i forgot to hate today (laughs) i (laughs) well i mean how long did it take i mean where was there wasn't any stink on you after that was there in terms of development like like you you know well i mean like when you went to to create real time i mean when you got that period between not having a job you know i was lucky i mean the period not having a job was all of six months Uh, right uh, pi went off in uh june 28th 2002 and real time was on in january i think of 2003 so i was very lucky and very grateful that i had the net of hbo to fall into 
Yeah, they've always been good. I mean, Nancy yeah. Deller, you've been yeah. with her forever. Right. Yeah, we were always sort of in bed with them because yeah. HBO Downtown Productions right. produced Politically Incorrect. Nina and Nancy. And the, yes, <laughs> Nina and Nancy. And the, and the truth is that it always, you know, what I do always belonged on a network that was not yeah. <laughs> susceptible to advertisement pullouts. Right. Is that is that really what sunk you in, in the big picture? Of course, absolutely. I mean, I knew I was never mad at ABC for canning me. In fact, I was surprised that a show called Politically Incorrect that really was very politically incorrect could have lasted on a Disney-owned entity for right. six years as it did. What I was mad at is that they lied and said the ratings went down, and that's why they were canceling it. The ratings never went down. We never lost our audience. Right. Our ratings were good. I bet you our ratings are still better than what replaced us. Yeah, they, they certainly were for the longest time. I don't know. I've been checked it recently. Um, it wasn't the ratings that went down. It was that the advertisers pulled out. And if advertisers pull out, I totally understand. You're running a commercial business. You, you that's intolerable. You have to make money. So I never mad at them for canceling me. Just don't lie about why. Well, it's amazing that I, it seems to me that with real time and and you know all throughout the shows you've done, you, you've maintained uh, a rare audience in intelligent grownups. And slightly enlightened younger people that you know, most TV really just dumbs down everything. And like when I even when I appeared on your show, I mean, the, the feedback was amazing. I mean, a lot of intelligent adults watch your show and there's not and listen many- to this, by the way. I've heard so many people say, when are you doing that? Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, you have quite the following, too. But it's it's if you think about it, it's one of the. There's not that many shows for grownups anymore. There really isn't. And if you just stick your flag in the sand and say, "This is what I am, and this is what we're going to do, and we're not going to waver from that," yes, you will get a great audience. I mean, we have a, a terrifically sized audience. I don't think people realize how many people see our show. Now, is it as many as American Idol? Of course not. But it's a lot more than lots of shows, which I bet people think get bigger audiences. We probably get four or five times what Gossip Girl gets. Well, that's good. <laughs> but I'm saying Gossip Girl's on the, the cover of magazines. And <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying that, you know, in this day and age where there are so many different choices and different channels, it's such a niche uh, marketing situation. You know, you can survive with numbers that 20, 30 years ago were laughable. Right. You know, but lots of, uh, you know, I remember when Johnny Carson and probably Jay Leno has a very similar late night uh, viewership, five, let's say five million people. I remember when that was sort of like, oh, well, of course it's good, but it's late night. You know, it's nothing like what the Wild Wild West gets on Friday night. They get 42 million people. Right. Yeah, because there were three channels then. Yeah. Nowadays, there's lots of primetime shows that don't get five million. But it's, but it's they would love to get five million right. people. Yeah, they definitely the numbers don't uh, don't mean what they used to. And it, But like, it's amazing to me that when you watch Johnny Carson, when you were a kid, and when I was a kid, that you're the only show that you know that has writers on that has artists on that has people from other you know areas of expression that that are sophisticated i mean there was a time unless i'm hallucinating where you know carson would have norman mailer on or george yeah, plimpton because on. yes especially when it was 90 minutes yeah the tonight show used to be 90 minutes and people could sit without a laugh for five minutes i mean what Absolutely. the fuck why has it got to be a goddamn right. circus all the time right i mean i turn on some uh, networks and you feel like i'm being attacked you know, by children I don't know what, what is going <laughs> Wait, How am I surrounded yes. by kids right now? Yes, it's so funny. One of the first issues we did on Politically Incorrect in 93 was, uh, is uh, is America getting dumber? Is that just something that seems to be 
have or something I feel because it, it, I forget how we phrased it, but it was it was that idea of is America getting dumber, and here we are twenty years later. And it only has gotten dumber. Well, I think it's an, it's a gratification thing. I just think between the internet and television and what's offered, you know, people need to be like, it's like they're feeding. They're right. not thinking. Yeah, it's so funny because they're, they're getting dumber, but at the same time, um, a lot of them are getting smarter. I mean, we didn't have the internet like we have 20 years ago. Information wasn't available like it is now. Yeah. People, young people weren't nearly as savvy uh, or actually as politically involved. I mean, they're actually interested in politics now, yeah. I think, in a way. And and I think a lot of it, that has to do with what we started at Politically Incorrect. We handled that, handed that franchise over to The Daily Show. That became the sort of the successor to that. Right. Um, and uh, that was a big thing. And, and you know... Um, other shows and uh, Obama comes along and, and you know, he's a kind of a, a cool cat that got elected president and we got a black president. And you know, it's not like it was when I started when you really had to fight this idea that politics was the most toxic thing you could put on television or talk about on television. It's not anymore. Well, also, it's become framed be, from the news networks as sort of a sporting event. I mean, they're, they're, True. There, there is a pace to it where and it is. It, it definitely is. And, and there's something disillusioning about uh, that to, I think, more intelligent people that, you know, really the fight for the moron's brain is is paramount. The fact that that somebody can True. watch a political commercial that's 60 seconds long and go, well, right. I'm changing my mind. Well, they, you're, what are you, right. fucking idiot? Right. <laughs> it took 60 seconds of bullshit to, right. to, to pummel your sad, fragile right. head into believing a different thing. <laughs> That's exactly what Mitt Romney has been doing all week in Florida to Newt Gingrich. It's true. Well, that that Newt's scary because, like, as as evil a, a, a cunt he is, he's he's he has intelligence, and he's and he and he's got a big mouth, which I think is good for the other side. But he scares the fuck out of me. I don't know. I mean, that's a strong word. Intel. Yes, he he's not he's not without certain intellectual capabilities but this idea that the right wing puts forward not just his camp uh, and then the media picks up on that somehow newt gingrich is the uh, foremost intellectual oh did i the, did i get suckered by right wing talking points i well, might have it kind of i uh -huh. mean i mean that's what they say you know that he's the foremost intellectual and they all nod not just right wing i mean you heard this on cnn that he, you know he was a history professor mm -hmm. he's kind of this big ideas man yeah big stupid ideas <laughs> like build a colony on the moon and the death penalty for yeah, people yeah. who bring in two ounces of pot and you know he's not a big idea guy you look at his ideas first of all they're they're the same most of the same bullshit that the other right-wing idiots up on the stage are espousing lower taxes you know the, the, of course the exact nonsense that got us into the mess in the first place newt uh newt um, mitt. <laughs> it's newt and mitt it's yeah. it's sort it's, of like osama <laughs> and obama you know because neither one of them is a name by the way yeah. newt mitt who are these people yeah. but uh mitt kind of jabbed newt at the last debate because uh they were going after mitt romney for not paying his taxes and mitt said but newt under your plan uh, I would pay actually zero taxes. And that's right. Newt wants a capital gains tax of zero. So Mitt wouldn't even be paying his 15%. He'd be paying zero on his millions and millions of dollars. This is not a big idea. This is a stupid idea. Yeah. He's the foremost intellectual in the Republican Party the way Gene Simmons is the foremost intellectual in KISS. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and also the fact that I, you know, look, I, uh, I, I went to Salt Lake City recently, and and I, I, I am, I firmly believe that it's enough not to vote for Mitt because he's Mormon, because that's some weird shit. Well, you know, my it it certainly is. I mean, the, do you know the appeal of it though? Have you been out there? I didn't oh, realize yeah, we, until I went out there. We did a whole. We tried to film at the temple for religious, um, and were kicked out. But spent a week there. In but it's, a, it's Salt an Lake. American religion. It's a very that, American. And, and of it's, course, it's, Jesus comes back to Missouri. Sure, sure. That's plates, the appeal. Plates. That's yeah. the appeal of it is that it sort of unites what frontier spirit. Frontier spirit, yeah. and also, you know, there's a there's a tremendous dichotomy that can never be aligned, and of course they hate to hear that, but uh, it is the truth. And that is, you can't be a patriotic person and also be a Christian. It's very antithetical to what to everything Jesus said that you would love one country above other countries. Jesus was all about humans, right? Okay, yeah. I mean, this isn't really esoteric stuff. Right. I don't believe in a sky god who's going to save my ass, but I have read his book. Yeah. And it is sort of big on this idea yeah. that we're all brothers, that there are no dividing lines between us, that yeah. the poor and the powerless have just as much dignity as the rich. Right. It's everything that isn't America. You know, you can't be a Christian and say things like, yeah, you got to take care of your own first. You know, yeah. I mean, it. <laughs> but Mormonism tries to square that circle a little more. Right. Because Jesus, of course, came here to America. I yeah, mean, he came here to America to inspire people to put together good business sense and I mean, kick back some money. On my to worst people. days, being high on shitty dirt weed, I yeah. never came up with stuff that was as ridiculous. Like gold plates? A or, guy comes out of the woods with gold plates? Well, he people, was, a, everyone knows he was a, a yeah. con man yeah. of his day. But let me ask you, though, in, in terms of religion, I, do you have an issue with the, the community element of religion? I don't know what you mean by that. Well, I mean, that. like, well, it's one thing to believe in God, but a lot of people who may or may not believe, but just sort of go through the, the paces in order to, to hang out with their, you know, with their neighbors. I mean, do you? Yeah. Do I you, mean, it's just, but you're, I mean, everybody needs community. Right. Every, no, very rare, few people, except the Unabomber, want to sit alone at home in a shack. And a few comics. Yeah, a few comics. <laughs> that's true. Um, but why organize it around a silly myth? Right. Can't we organize our community right. around something else? There's so many. Do it around movie night or you know, just anything else. Well, but movie night is not eternal. You know, I mean, what I <laughs> no, it could be. Um, but you know, I always want to say to religious people, you know, what? You, first of all, this. How do you know this? That's that's my main question to religious people. Whatever they say is, how do you know this? Because they talk about the next world in this great detail. And, and I just like to point out to them, like, everything you think you know either comes from either a holy book, the Bible, the Koran, something yeah. like that, or from another person telling it to you, which is just a big game but of telephone you, that but, goes back 2,000 years. Well, what about people that, that have a belief system in place and it makes them a better person? Well, that's called an ethicist. Okay. That would be like me and the millions and millions and millions of atheists and agnostics here and even more in Europe and, and all around the world. Um, people who prove that, uh, and that they've actually studied this, that uh, people who are ethicists have a higher grade of morality than people who uh, are religious because religion, far from reinforcing morality, although it does for millions of people too, but it, it obviously justifies evil deeds. Right. As someone once said, you know, the world is full of 
people. Many, yeah. Most of them are just regular people trying to get by. There are a certain amount of psychopaths who will always do wicked things, and there are a certain percentage of good people who always do good things. But to make a good person do wicked things, you almost always have to introduce religion into the equation. Right. In other words, to make Muhammad Atta, who probably was just a regular guy, he wasn't born an evil person, but right. he was brainwashed into this religion. To make him fly an airplane into a building, he had to believe that this was a way to get to paradise and that he was doing the right thing. And, this, and he obviously had some vulnerability about his purpose in life. I mean, I, I've done some reading about the, the idea, the nature of people's desire to believe in something bigger than themselves in order to feel that they have purpose in the world is a vulnerability. Right. It's a human vulnerability. I mean, I, I mean, whatever it's going to be, whether it's sports or movie night or whatever, there is that compulsion to be part of something bigger. I agree. And I just think it's time we organized it around something other than what some desert dweller wrote 2,000 years ago. Well, yeah, and I, I, I've, I, yeah, I agree with you. I, I've said recently on stage that, you, you know, you only get religion two ways. Either you're brought up with it and it's pummeled into your brain by right. frightened parents, or your life goes off the rails to such a degree that you don't know where else to turn, right. and it's either Jesus or, or massage yeah, therapy. Prison. <laughs> yeah, prison. Yeah. You're in prison. Or, I, I totally get that you need or, or Jesus. Else he, or else he, maybe you just, <clears throat> uh, you know, things didn't work out in show business. He want to be a yoga instructor. I mean, that, I mean, I think that's a safer path. Right. Do you have a problem with spirituality in general? Uh, well, first of all, I don't know what that means. Yeah, it's vague. Spirituality. It's vague. Well, no, I mean, if it, if... it usually means I believe in ghosts in some way, and yes, I have a problem with that. <laughs> what yes, if it's just, I don't. I don't believe in a, ghosts. About, I, don't, I don't know what that word spirituality means. What about incense means. and sweating? I, <laughs> and it's, I, I mean, music I, that I, has a nice feeling yeah, to it. That I'm fine with, <laughs> but I don't know what this word spirituality means. And by the way, I don't think most people who use it know. No, what it they just—it's a feeling they get when they combine enough weird cryptic shit together that makes it like these candles right here. If you put right. this together with a right. with a nice uh, maybe yeah. an ocean sound, right? And <laughs> you know, I think it just means being a nice person. I don't know. I don't know what they think they're going for there or what they're getting. Um, you There's know, so I many mean, around, though. I've made people mad. Some people I'm very fond of. When I did an editorial on our show about Buddhism, and you know, people said uh, for years they were saying, "Why don't you, why don't you look into that, or why don't you do a sequel to Religious about the Eastern religions?" And uh, I looked into it, and they wanted to know, "Is it really a religion?" That's a big debate. Yes, yeah. because it's full of crazy shit. <laughs> Anything that's full of crazy, nonsensical shit that somebody just pulled out of their ass is a religion. Well, what do you do? Now, is it as bad as Christianity? Um, no, because it's not warlike well, as well, much. Right. Although the Japanese before World War II sure. were Buddhist and they didn't seem to have a problem <laughs> with the rape of Nanking. Yeah. But what do you do, like, for you? I mean, I don't know, when you hit, uh, like, a wall or an existential crisis, you're paralyzed with, with fear or, 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 or mortality. How do you handle that moment? It's tougher. You know, that's right. I mean, uh, I just turned 56. It would be great if there was an afterlife. <laughs> I would think I would I would welcome that. But what do you do? Just get busy, smoke a little weed. What do you What do you You just I mean, what do you do to make the demons go away? There's there's nothing. But the, but you know, the alternative uh, is to to run to an illusion, right? You know, as Eugene O'Neill once said, uh, life without illusions is unbearable, and life with illusions is unpardonable. And I think everybody has to make that choice. 
And uh, I just, you know, it would be nice to have that comfort. I just can't anymore. I mean, the Toto has torn back the curtain. I see that the... <laughs> That the Wizard of Oz is just a little man saying, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. And I can no longer make myself believe. I mean, once, you know, once the match is lit, you can't relight it. No. Well, it seems like you're having a good time. Yes. I mean, you know, look, you just, all I'm trying to do, like most people, is uh, be the best person I can. And then the rest of the time, just we're just really... It's finding ways to distract ourselves till we die. Right. And and piss off the people that are stupid. Yes. Well, sure. thanks, Bill. All right. Good talking to you. Well, that's it. I was a, a lovely chat with Bill, and uh, we were a little tight on time there. He had to get somewhere else. But I think we had a good talk, and it was great to talk to him. I, I, I respect the guy. He's a real comic, and he's done. A, he's cut out a real place in the world for himself. So check out that uh, live-streaming comedy special on the 23rd at Yahoo Comedy. Um, and what else? Go to WTFPod.com. Kick in a few shekels. Buy a T-shirt, some posters. Uh, look around. Get yourself the app. There's a new app. If you have any issues with that stuff, just email me at WTFPod.com at gmail.com and we'll take care of it Oklahoma City this Saturday go to WTFPod.com and look at my schedule two shows show at it at City Arts Center this Saturday the 18th come down if you want have some just coffee I will now pow look out I just shit my pants for reals justcoffee.coop available at WTFPod.com dig it gotta go Boomer's not in here oh my god I'm fucking antsy.